0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being And help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus from your brain to your body. C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused.
2: Christmas has the most interesting collection of traditions of any holiday. It's a mix of the important religious meaning of the day, but it's also gift-giving. Trees, Santa Claus, gaudy displays of lights, and caroling. How did all of these disparate things come together? Mark Forsyth is best known for his books on where words come from, as well as my favorite hostess gift for people holding New Year's Eve parties, A Short History of Drunkenness. But what has our attention today is his book, A Christmas Cornucopia, the hidden stories behind our yuletide traditions. Mark, good to have you with us. And and let's start with the basic. The story of the birth of Christ is well known, but there's nothing really to tell us when that happened and what evidence we have for it It is probably that it happened in what we now call April. So how was December 25th picked?
3: Well, yeah, there's nothing in the Bible. You can scour the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the lot, and there isn't a clue. I mean, I hate to say it, the only clue we have is that shepherds were watching their flocks in the fields at night, which they do at all seasons of the year, except winter. Uh, For the first 200 years of Christianity, nobody asked, nobody knew when Jesus was born, and it wasn't a celebration. But then there was a guy who uh, called the Computist, is all we know about him, who tried to work it out and various other people. And they all came up with roughly the same date, which was sometime in late March or about the spring equinox for reasons which are kind of crazy. It's rather like that sort of Da Vinci code. Um, uh, Take away the number you first thought of. Um, He must have been born on the anniversary of the creation of the world. All this strange stuff. But March the 25th, but then you have the question of if that's when he came into the world, maybe he came into the world at the moment of his conception. And so after a few years of celebrating Christmas at the spring equinox, they decided we'll move it forward nine months precisely to December the twenty-fifth. And that's when you get our current date, which is first recorded in I think three five four AD, people started celebrating Christmas on December the twenty-fifth.
2: So who exactly decided to make that change?
3: Um, there was a council um, to decide um, when Jesus came into the world, and oh, did he come in at the moment of his conception? This sort of theological thing was incredibly important in the early church, and people would argue about it forever and ever. We know that it had been settled down there by three five four A.D., and it got popular very, very quickly. I mean, so quickly. On one of my favourite little things about researching the history of Christmas. The first recorded complaint that people have forgotten the real meaning of Christmas, and these days it's all about eating and drinking and having fun, is 3H6AD. So it's only um, 22 years after the date of Christmas had been decided on December the 25th.
2: All right. Let's talk about some of the other traditions that have come up. Do we know who invented the advent calendar or why?
3: Yes, we do. Um, it's um, a guy called Schroeder. He was a German guy, and uh, this late 19th century, He used to um, uh, uh, annoy his mother, as children still do. I witnessed a child doing this, actually, just yesterday. Wait, isn't it Christmas yet? How many days till Christmas? How many days till Christmas? And so his mother would um, make these little homemade advent calendars for him so he could count down the days just in a way of getting her child to be quiet about it for a moment. And uh, he grew up and he became a businessman and a printer and he thought this was a brilliant idea and he started manufacturing these advent calendars for everyone, and uh, that—that's that, where they come from. This one specific guy, German guy, and his mother, and it took about fifty years before people started putting chocolates
4: in them. I, I love it.
2: Uh, the Christmas tree—you always hear this debate, or uh, often centers around the Christmas tree. Oh, it's a mashup of Christmas and ancient uh, celebrations, pagan celebrations that have been kind of put together. What's the real story here?
3: It's not actually pagan. Uh, it's true that pre-Christian pagans in Europe did worship trees, but they worshipped oak trees and they worshipped them outdoors and they worshipped them all year round. The Christmas tree actually comes from a very specific thing. Um, uh, uh, it's a rather lovely story, which is it's to do with um, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were a much uh, bigger deal in the medieval church than they are to us. People loved Adam and Eve and their story and they could relate to it. Um, and they were considered practically saints in the Christian church. And so they had a saint's day on which they were celebrated like other saints. And Adam and Eve's saint's day was our Christmas Eve. It was December the 24th. And the reason for that is a rather nice pairing, that just as sin came into the world through Adam via Eve, we were released from sin and original sin by, uh, uh, by Jesus through Mary. And so you put those two on, on next door days and you have sin comes into the world. The world is delivered from sin. And it's, it's a nice little pairing. And uh, so what they would do is they would perform plays on the Saints Day on December the 24th about the story of Adam and Eve. And if you're going to do the story of Adam and Eve on stage, you need one thing. You need a tree on stage because obviously there's the, the tree that eat the apple from. Unfortunately, um, most trees are looking pretty bare uh, December the 24th. So what they would use would be a, an evergreen tree, which you would chop down, bring inside, and then you have to hang it with fruits so that Eve can eat the fruit from the tree and give it to Adam. Indeed, I found, I was going through these very old texts and I found an original medieval text of an Adam and Eve play, which included stage directions, which is a very rare thing for plays that old. And it mentions how you have to have the tree on the stage and a guy, um, cunningly disguised as a snake in the tree presumably with a sort of long sock over his arm or something eat the apple Eve eat the apple and uh that's that was it they were called paradise plays they performed December 24th and that's why you had to have a tree inside on December 24th decorated with fruit and in some bits of Germany they're still actually called the paradise baum.
2: It's interesting because I know some people get mad at you because they feel knowing the history of Christmas destroys some traditions. But one of the points you make is that though many people believe that the holiday is just a reworking of a pagan holiday, its origins really are very much Christian.
3: They're very much Christian. I've spent ages researching this book, going through everything. I did not find a single pagan origin of anything, which I could actually confirm. People tend to say, oh, it's pagan when they just don't know. People say, oh, mistletoe must be pagan in a vague sort of way because it involves um, foliage. But I didn't find a single pagan origin that I could stand up.
2: Well, what about there. mistletoe as long as you've mentioned it?
3: I'm afraid mistletoe is a mystery. It appears, uh, the idea of kissing under the mistletoe appears in England in the late 18th century. It wasn't around in the early 18th century and we know that pretty uh, much for certain because there was a guy who wrote two books on the subject of mistletoe, I've read both of them. I'm the only person in the world who's read both of them. I sat there in the British Library for days. And um, he records all the traditions involving mistletoe, kissing isn't mentioned at all. Then it appears late 19th century, and there's no, no reason why. I don't know. I just hope it happens this year, but I think COVID may rather stop using a parasitical shrub to as an excuse for kissing strangers.
2: Oh dear, I hadn't even thought about that yet. Yeah, Jingle Bells yeah. is something that we think of as a Christmas song. Apparently not so. It's it's in a way been kind of censored to make it a Christmas
3: song. It's a Thanksgiving song. It's a, it's a pure, purely American uh, Thanksgiving song, and um, but it's just somehow drifted over to Christmas. Christmas has a tendency to draw these things in, in the same way that... um. Uh, uh, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus has been drawn. His saint's day was December the, twin- December the 5th, but he's been drawn closer. And again, that's thanks to the Americans who made wonderful additions to our Christmas celebrations. But I don't think finding out the origin of a tradition doesn't change it at all, in my opinion. We all know that mistletoe doesn't have a religious significance or anything like that, but it's about celebrating... A, a great truth and goodwill and happiness to to all men, and what, however, however, whatever your religious beliefs may be, there is a beautiful thing we are celebrating on that day, and we choose that day to celebrate it. And knowing that the tree comes from a place about Adam and Eve, etc., I don't think ever takes away from from that happiness. I, I don't find it uh, reduced my love of Christmas at all. Researching all this stuff and finding it out.
2: No, and if Santa comes down the chimney I'm not going to say Weren't you supposed to have originally been here December 5th?
3: No, no. December the, the 25th is a, it's a good day to come down the chimney Very good
2: day The book is A Christmas Cornucopia The Hidden Stories Behind Our Yuletide Traditions By Mark Forsyth Mark, thank you so much And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year
3: Thank you very much And Merry Christmas to you and a very Happy New Year
2: As sure as Christmas is here, somewhere near you in a normal year, someone would be performing Handel's Messiah.
5: Hallelujah.
2: Hallelujah. 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 Though there are many pieces of classical music themed for the events marked this time of year, no other piece really has maintained its place in the public imagination like the Messiah, and people who never even listen to classical music can sing the Hallelujah Chorus with the same assurances. As any number one hit. Why? Well, Harry Christopher joins us, the brilliant conductor of the 16s in Great Britain, and here in the States, the musical director of the Handel and Haydn Society, which dating back to 1815, is the third oldest musical group of any kind in the USA. He's also made several award-winning recordings of The Messiah. Harry, it's good to have you with us. This piece is now 278 years old, but it still has a grip on people who, as I said, may not even listen to another classical piece for the rest of the year.
6: Why? Well, I, Gil, it's, it's one of the few pieces in, in history, in musical history, to have popular success right through the composer's lifetime and then actually never fall out of favour uh, since his death. So, you know, that, that's pretty unusual, uh, first off. But, you know, I think a lot of it's down to the fact that it's, because it, the, the first performance was was for charity. And I think that actually has had a lot of effect uh, through the centuries, really. There have been constant performances for charity. We know that Handel himself gave his own score of Messiah to the founding hospital uh, in, in London, uh, which was for, for poor children. And uh, um, so it, it's, it's had that sort of, that kind of mystery, but also that joyousness that, uh, that people love. And And, you know, Quite frankly, people love tradition.
2: And there are many traditions involved in this, although like many traditions, they're based on things that may or may not have ever happened or certainly did not happen. For instance, standing during the Hallelujah Chorus supposedly started because King George II did it, but
6: he probably never even heard the Messiah. <laughs> well, yes, I mean the the, the stories abound, don't they? I mean, um, but but people do, and you know somehow it caught on, and I, I think you know Allerdyce across is a wonderfully joyous moment, and uh, you you audiences in in America, you're up on your feet almost straight away. It's sort of it, in the UK. It's 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 sort of it's it's Some people frown upon it. And there's always that sort of feeling that, you know, if uh, if a dozen people get up in the audience, then the soloists on stage will will get up and rise. And then, of course, once they get up and rise, everybody gets up. Uh, But, you know, it is it, it comes at a very special moment in Messiah. And and, you know, it is it's just a piece to dance to, actually, isn't it? It is, and maybe that goes to what it
2: celebrates, although it wasn't initially written as a Christmas piece, and and in fact, only the first third of it really is about the birth of Jesus. So technically not a Christmas piece, I guess, but most classical music religious pieces have been more about Easter. Very dramatic, of course, but...
6: You know, Christmas gives more room for joy. It does. I mean, as you're quite right to say that. I mean, it's not a Christmas piece per se. I mean, the, the first performance, of course, was at Easter, and uh, for many years after that, it was very much thought of as an Easter piece. I mean, it's a total rarity in in uh, in sort of in the classical music output because it is a piece that covers the the entire Christian year. Uh, from advent right through nativity to the passion story to resurrection so it it tells a phenomenal story but there is the matter of the choruses which may be another key to why it is
2: so performed and so loved around the world and here in the states as well as in britain because if you've got a decent chorus which is easier to find than four brilliant soloists you can perform a decent Messiah. You just need the solos to get through some parts, but, you know, good choruses are easier to find. Yeah,
6: Judo, you know, that's, yeah, that's absolutely true, and I think you're quite right about you know, the UK and the US. You know, there are great choruses there, and it's quite interesting to notice in the in the rest of Europe, actually. Messiah is not quite as popular. Well, it's it, it getting more popular. Uh, it's very popular in Spain, and, and funny enough, in Spain... Um, it's used as a kind of community piece to get everybody, you know, people off the streets singing, everybody can sing and join in. So it's quite interesting how that's developed over the years. Um, but you're quite right. I mean, the arias, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, they're not that taxing really um maybe apart from the soprano having to, having to get around lots of 16th notes in rejoice greatly but the rest of the numbers can be done by pretty good amateur singers and, and they can do a good job on them but you're quite right it's the chorus that had to, that does does the does the major work and i think you know actually gil there's one other aspect of messiah that i think's really interesting in that you get a lot of Short choruses, short arias, a lot of, and and a few longer ones. Um, and if you look at the arias, for instance, soprano sings "How beautiful are the feet." That's a very short aria. And compared to something like He Was Despised, uh, which was a very poignant aria. And then in the choruses, you've got ones like And He Shall Purify, For Until a Child is Born. And then at the very end, wow. What an amen chorus! I mean, I, I, I've never really counted the number of times amen is repeated, but it's you know it's so long, it's so brilliant. It's handled at his best, a real master of how to how to write counterpoint, how to work imitation, and it, it, for me, it's an absolute joy to conduct. And I must say, when the when the sopranos hit that final top A, uh, every single time, and I must have conducted Messiah well over two hundred times, a shiver will go down my spine just amazing
2: you you mentioned the the aria he was despised he was despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief one of the reasons the place was packed when the messiah debuted in dublin was besides the fact that Handel was a superstar at the time the contralto sarah sibber was engaged in a scandalous divorce and everybody wanted to get a look at her and apparently when she sang that aria he was despised A reverend leapt to his feet and cried, Woman, for this! Be all thy sins forgiven thee. It was that powerful.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And this was a really interesting moment, wasn't it? Because, you know, I think that you've, you've caught it exactly there. Here was here was a woman who herself was despised. And it's really interesting because it, it is a very long aria. And you often see, you know, people you know, in you know, big choruses and the orchestral players begin to yawn. Oh, gosh, we got to do that dark capo, that repeat section of the first bit all over again. You know, it could last another, you know, five minutes um, it's a it's a twelve minute aria I think altogether, um, but I, there's a wonderful singer. I, it's on one of, who's on one of my recordings called Catherine Wynne Rogers, who sings it absolutely divinely. And she will always before she before we rehearse it, she will turn around to the chorus and auction and say, "You have to remember with this that you will know somebody who has been despised or rejected in some form, um, and and just think of that every time." Um, you are listening to it, and it really is it's spe- spellbinding, and it takes us uh, really uh, out of out of out of our seats and into another world. There was a wonderful play, you know, written by uh, Nicholas Drake, that was uh, done at the National, uh, uh, sorry, at the Globe here in London, and it was called All the Angels. And the the whole play is about basically Handel writing Messiah for the first time and his encounter with Sibber. It's it's very very powerful and uh, very poignant.
2: As a final note, this is going to be a rare year for you, which is that you will, you know, not be conducting Messiah. We won't in many uh, parts of the United States be able to go to live performances of the Messiah, you know, breaking a tradition. There's going to be virtual ones that you'll be able to, you know, watch on screen performances from past year recordings such as yours that we'll be able to get but even though you've conducted this as you said more than 200 times will you miss it this year
6: Oh gosh, yes, of course, yes. I, I, I was just we were just on a walk this afternoon with my wife and around uh, on the Kent countryside here, and uh, I was saying, gosh, next year I'm going to have to make sure we get a date at the Barbican in London to perform Messiah. We just can't go another year without it. Um, and you know, I'm so looking forward. I mean, next year I'll be back at Boston. Uh, just after Thanksgiving, we'll be doing Messiah, and it's it's, uh, it's it's a real it's a real real loss. um Luckily, at Boston, actually, with Handel and Heinz's they're going to be doing a, a televised messiah with uh, with wgbh uh, just an hour long just of the first part um and it will have sort of scenes of boston at in the present uh, time, uh, during this pandemic, and it, you know, it will be very much a Messiah for for our time. Um, and it is it is odd, um, but you know, I think that's the blessing of CDs and 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 uh, television productions of Messiah. You know that that people can actually still listen to the music. We're living in a in a in a wonderful age where we can do those things. Uh, and I think we just have to make the most of it.
2: And among the great recordings of the Messiah, the recordings by Harry Christophers, the conductor of the 16s and also the musical director of the Handel and Haydn Society oh, Harry, thank you so much I'd rather see you up on the podium but uh, next best thing is being able to talk to you about it oh, Thanks
6: so much Gil and wish you all a, a very happy holiday season
2: You're listening to The Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network.
0: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
2: This is the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. In another segment of this program, we hear that people have been saying Christmas isn't what it used to be since the 4th century. In these times, people often say the holiday is too commercial, though you don't have to give up gift-giving to reflect on not just the religious, but the spiritual messages that imbue this time of year with a special meaning and has its own gift of reflection on who we are and how we live, especially these days when we seem so divided. Jim Wallace thinks about such things year-round as the founder of Sojourners, just reaching its 50th anniversary. The writer, teacher, and preacher has served on the White House Advisory Council on faith-based and neighborhood partnerships. He's also host of the podcast Soul of the Nation. So, Jim, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Maybe a tough order any year. This year, it seems tougher.
4: You know, Gil, it's great to talk. Uh, This Christmas season has always been my favorite, even back in those days when I was very alienated from the church I grew up in, and was a young student activist, one nothing to do with churches or any of that, because they were on the wrong side of a lot of stuff that I care about <laughs> as a young activist. But I remember driving home in the snow from Michigan State to my to my home, Detroit, and time and time again, it'd be a Christmas carol or a Christmas text. There'd be a moment that the meaning of this just struck me. Even in those days when I didn't want to admit I was listening, And so every year, to me, this reminds me of some very core things, like you just mentioned the text, the shepherds, after visiting this manger, that's what they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill among men and women. Right there, I mean, glory to God in the highest, and, and is a crucial word there, and peace and goodwill among humankind, among us. And there's a connection between the two, deep, deep connection. This isn't just about giving presence and worshiping God. It's about who we are and what we do on earth as it is in heaven, as the Lord's prayer says. And I was thinking this morning about Mary's prayer, her magnificat. I love that prayer. She says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then she In her prayer, she shows how this Christmas message turns the world literally upside down. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. I mean, apply that to right now how so many people are literally hungry right now in this country and feel themselves in need and in pain. And this Christmas message strikes right to them. What does it mean to us to follow Mary's prayers? So not just giving gifts, but to bring the meaning of this change in human history.
2: And Jim, how do we get that? How do we get to that point? And one of the things I'm thinking of is right now, We have an America where one side doesn't really talk to the other side. You know, they unfriend one another on Facebook. They stop calling people. They don't run into people anymore because, especially during this period of COVID, they're not running into people anymore. So the ways that people of different views used to meet one another in neighborhoods, at school, at church, you know, at the bowling league, whatever, is not happening now. So how do you bring that?
4: The polarization, let me be blunt and clear, the polarization that we're all contributing to different shared facts. Uh, uh, we're no longer just adversaries and politics, We're enemies. That is all anti-Christmas. So Leonard Cohen's song, where he says there's cracks in everything and the light gets through in the cracks. Okay, maybe these Christmas carols, these Christmas scriptures, these Christmas services that many of us will go to across our divisions right across these polarizations we're going to hear these christmas carols <laughs> that's maybe those are the facts that we share over the holidays we hear that we hear the message what i heard in the snow driving home to my parents that may be the cracks in the walls where some light could come in to treat each other this way is anti-christmas uh, but how do we see uh, glory to god in the highest we all want to say that who are believers and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men and women. What does it mean to say to give glory to God in the highest means we have to act in peace and show goodwill toward each other, even across our polarized lines? That's the Christian's message. And never more important in a time like this, so polarized. And that just doesn't end at the end of the 25th of December. We've got to take that into into a new uh, new year how do we find the messages that should speak to all of us and and help us to calm down and lower our temperature and not be so afraid of each other what did what did the angels say to the shepherds don't be afraid it's what they said don't be afraid because unto us a child is born uh, go and see him in the manger their politics says be af- be afraid both sides say be afraid be afraid Jesus said don't be afraid eight times testament and let's know we can't say glory to god in the highest unless we commit ourselves each one of us to bring peace and goodwill to all men and women that's the message it could change us if we let it
2: jim wallace whose spotify list obviously has both christmas carols and leonard cohen's song anthem on it is the founder of sojourners jim happy holidays thank you so much for being with us bless you, bless you. you're listening to the holiday special from the cbs audio network Welcome back to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Every year at this time, some version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is trotted out in almost every American home. And Scrooge's line that the poor better get about dying gets hisses and boos to this day in theaters and in front of televisions.
6: You will agree, I'm sure, that many thousands of people lack the basic necessities and many hundreds of thousands lack ordinary comforts.
2: Are there no prisons?
6: Plenty of prisons, sir. And
2: the union workhouses—are they still in operation? I, yes, they are. I only wish I could say they were not. I support those institutions I have mentioned, and I expect the poor to make use of them. Those who are badly off must go there.
7: Many cannot go there,
2: and many would rather die. If they'd rather die. They'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Something about this man made whole again through the charity of making sure a child had not just a Christmas dinner but food oh enough always holds vast appeal.
1: Tell me, what day is it? What day? What's Christmas Day? Costa? Christmas day. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Then I haven't missed it. <laughs> the spirits must have done everything in one night.
4: <laughs> of course, they can do anything, can't they? Of course they can. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Are you quiet yourself, sir?
6: What? I don't know. No, I, I don't think so.
2: I hope not what (laughs) that new redeemed scrooge at the end of the story would probably be a celebrity endorser these days of the no kid hungry campaign chaired by the co-founder and executive chair of share our strength billy shore who's also host of the weekly podcast ad passion and stir and billy we could talk about the need to see no kid go hungry almost any day of any season but this year with school out in so many places has been especially challenging
7: yeah, Gil, it's been a really, frankly, a brutal uh, nine months for kids and families, and we know that there are so many ways in which families and children are hurting during this pandemic. Hunger, uh, unfortunately, is more prevalent than ever, but it is also the most solvable Uh, of all these problems, but we're seeing it at a level, honestly, that we haven't seen since the Great Depression.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, this is going to be a tough winter before we get enough vaccine out there and enough people willing to take it to get things back to some semblance of normalcy. So in the meantime, what can we do?
7: Well, uh, there's a number of ways to support Feeding people, you know, one of the most effective ways we've had in this country for the last 50 years of making sure that children in particular get the food and the nutrition they need is through our our school systems. We have these wonderful programs like school lunch and school breakfast, uh, summer meals in the summertime, after-school snacks. But when the schools are closed, as they have been through the pandemic or open in hybrid ways, some open virtually, some open in person, and most in some version of hybrid – Uh, The schools have had to find other ways, alternative ways, to get these meals to kids. The meals themselves are 100% federally reimbursed. So it's such an opportunity to get food to kids in an affordable way, but the schools need other types of uh, resources when they're not feeding them in their cafeteria or in their classroom. They need, in this time of COVID, personal protective gear for the, the food staff. They need additional refrigeration and storage. There are many schools that have had... Uh, Even though the schools are closed, bus drivers continuing to drive their routes, and instead of picking kids up, they're dropping meals off at the corners where they used to pick them up, and and families are picking up that food. Uh, At Share Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign, we're actually uh, making grants of a million dollars a day, every day, for the last 40 days. So we've put out $41 million over the last couple of months uh, to help school districts and community organizations be able to afford to do the things they need to do to get this food to kids
2: you know it's not just the schools one of the problems is that restaurants many of which support things like local food pantries are themselves failing because of lost business from the virus so that's added to this as well
7: that's right restaurants of course have just been devastated by the virus and uh, unfortunately many of them you know closed initially had hoped to close temporarily furloughed employees and now find themselves closing permanently. Everything we're talking about, Gill underscores uh, two needs. One is for Congress uh, and our government to act and to provide relief uh, for families, for restaurateurs, stimulus for the economy. Uh, there have been some very important uh, efforts made to ensure that there are grant and loan programs to restaurants so that they can stay alive. So one thing we've got to do is hope that uh, and, and urge Congress before it recesses for the Christmas holiday, uh, urge Congress to, to act. And uh, you know, negotiations seem to be very frayed between Nancy Pelosi and the Treasury Sec- Secretary uh, and the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Mitch McConnell. But Congress has got to act. And, and in addition, uh, people have to continue to be as generous as they ha- they have been. The generosity has been amazing over these last nine months. It's enabled share our strength to make grants of a million dollars a day. Uh, But there's still a long, long way to go. And I hope people will support efforts, not just our No Kid Hungry campaign, but the work of Feeding America and World Central Kitchen and so many great organizations that are out there feeding people.
2: Well, Billy, let's get into that a little. All the news has been so dark and often angry of late. Can you give us some rays of light? What are some examples of things people have been doing to make sure that kids don't go hungry?
7: Well, people have really stepped up in some phenomenal ways. You know, we've seen uh, everything from Broadway actors who created a program called Homebound Theater, which was a streaming set of one act, one actor plays that raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for our No Kid Hungry campaign, Uh, literally Broadway actors sharing their strength that way, to a a workout and fitness guru named Isaac. Calpito, who just streaming his workout every day on Instagram Live at 11 o'clock every morning has raised, personally, has raised $1 million, over $1 million now. For Share Our Strengths No Kid Hungry campaign. So people are coming up with very creative ways to use their talents to share their strengths and ask people who enjoy what they're doing to uh, in effect donate uh, in honor of that. And people are really responding.
2: And just on the local level, what can people do, you know, other than contributing, which of course is great, but what can people do to see the kids in their neighborhoods aren't going hungry?
7: Well, you know, if, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, that would be an easier question. answer in terms of what people can do in their own communities because normally it you know when it was safe to volunteer when it was safe to go to a food bank and help distribute food the good news is there are still safe ways to do that many emergency food providers have whether it's food banks or soup kitchens or faith-based organizations have found safe ways with covid protocols to help people be involved in in food distribution donating continues to be important Uh, volunteering uh, where it's safe is important, and uh, even though it may not seem uh, that it has a local impact, it does. Writing uh, and emailing your uh, senators, your members of Congress, uh, your local officials—all uh, of that translates into getting meals to kids and families that need them.
2: And people wanting more information about this can go where?
7: Uh, NoKidHungry.org. Our website includes a lot of information. So Share Our Strength, No Kit Hungry campaign is just No Kit Hungry. Dot org you find lots of ways to contribute to donate to learn what's going on in your community and around and around the country and we've got a map there that shows everywhere we've made grants into all of the you know into all 50 states but we'll show you know more specifically in your area uh, where we've been granting funds
2: no kid hungry campaign is chaired by the co-founder and executive chair of share our strength billy shore he's also the host of the weekly podcast add passion and stir billy thank you for your work and happy holidays
7: Uh, Have a happy holiday, and thanks for bringing some attention to this, uh, Gil. It's so important, and people hear these stories, and they act on them. So you're, you're making a big
2: difference for a lot of
7: families by doing this. Much
2: appreciated. Thank you, Billy. You're listening to The Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
2: Welcome back to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network, I'm Gil Gross. Do kids still believe in Santa? (laughs) You bet they do. And most kids are asking for the usual list of things, video games, unicorns, or if Santa's fresh out of those, a pony will do the trick, sleds, laptops, or maybe an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells the time. No, not that kid, you'll put your eye out. But then there's this story from CBS News correspondent Nikki Batiste about a girl who just wanted to find something very, very precious to her.
5: Most kids ask for toys for Christmas. Sweet Annalise Hawking simply wanted to find her best friend's new address so she could write her. And when Santa and his elves read her letter, they decided to make some Christmas magic. Here's Santa. For Christmas, I would like it to be a surprise. Please tell Nyla that I miss her. This priceless Christmas wish from seven-year-old Annalise Hawking stood out when it arrived at the North Pole last week. Please tell her my address. She simply wanted help finding her eight-year-old friend, Nyla Loftus. A lot of kids ask for toys. Why did you want to ask to see your friend this year? I asked to see Nyla because I really missed her. The two girls became best friends last year after Nyla helped Annalise, whose family was new in town, feel welcome. But when Nyla's family moved away in February, the second graders lost touch. So Annalise turned to the one person who makes miracles happen. Santa Claus, with a little help from Annalise's mom, Leslie, posted a photo of the letter to Facebook, asking if the community could help find Nyla. Over 100 people responded.
1: I was definitely crying a little bit. Santa posted it on Facebook, and all these people
6: had helped him. We found her. Like, I can't believe this happened. It actually chokes
5: me up right now. I was just amazed that a little girl would ask that. Moms Leslie and Sarah knew they had to get their daughters together, so they planned a surprise meet-up. poked her head up. Nyla, You were surprised? Mm Mm-hmm. We hugged and I couldn't talk. I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. If you could say something to Santa right now, I think he's listening. What would you like to say? Thank you for making my wish come true. Leslie and Sarah are grateful for all of Santa's helpers who made their daughter's reunion possible. People in this time of year feel feel an extra sense of giving, and I think this brought out the best in people in a lot of ways. Sarah, how has this all impacted Nyla and your family? Because she is also in a new school now. It's been great seeing her smile because it's been so hard. This has definitely made her so more cheerful. She still has her best friend in a difficult year, two best friends reminding us of the simple joys this holiday. Annalise and Nyla now FaceTime regularly, and their families hope to get them together again when the pandemic slows down. Both girls have been remote learning, so seeing each other was extra special.
2: CBS News correspondent Nikki Batiste. You're listening to The Holiday
0: Special from the CBS Audio Network.